Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Film Photography Podcast Analog Talk. I'm your host, Chris. I'm Tim. Our special guest is Dave Bias from Film Piranha. And today we're going to talk about Film Piranha and maybe some Impossible Project. How's that sound, guys? Good to me. Sounds great. So, Dave, can you just quickly tell our listeners, give them a little bit of a backstory? Oh, a, a little bit of a backstory. Yes. That, <laughs> um, you know, we've been at this for nearly five years now. So a little bit of a backstory is, is tricky. You know, we, our founders first stumbled onto the campus in, uh, at the end of 2012. They formed a relationship with the government in 2013 to move in as a kind of a research project to see what could be done to take this one building, which we call the LRF, which was the old research and development building, which has a mini factory inside of it and get it back up and running. Uh, and then during that time, we talked to them about salvaging equipment from yeah. the rest of the campus. You know, the campus was 19 buildings. It was formerly, wow. yeah, it was used to be the fourth largest manufacturer in the world. Yeah, no um, kidding. But no one knows that because they made brand, uh, film for everybody else. You know, they. Oh, really? No kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they made like 400 different brands of film. Uh, like if you oh, went yeah. into a grocery store or a drugstore and bought the drugstore brand film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was probably made by Ferrania. Uh, they also, no kidding. Yeah. They also did overflow for other bigger brands. They made regular old 35 millimeter film for Polaroid, for example, uh, and Konica and uh, several others. And they released films under their own brand names. In the U.S. it was Scotch because for 30 some years, 3M owned Ferrania and Scotch. Oh, wow. Okay. Scotch was the main 3M brand in the U.S. So you could go to the, the store and buy scotch chrome and some other types of film so there's there's this huge history and and before the 3m era film Frontier made its name as a cinema film producer yeah. and basically all, all the classic cinema films uh from the 50s and 60s 40s 50s and 60s that made a, a lot of italian films household names in italy and even their directors became uh, well known here in the u.s were all made on uh, film Frania stock. The most famous being Eight and a Half by Fellini, which was uh, <laughs> shot on uh, P30. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, fast forward to 2012, our founders find the campus under lock and key intact, but shut down. And they take a look at this uh, LRF building. I'm not going to pret uh, pretend to be able to... Uh, say the name in in italian <laughs> right. uh, but, yeah, yeah. But, but the l and r and the f essentially stand for film research laboratory and what they found inside was a, a, a small coder a small chemical synthesis department a small uh testing department basically everything that you need to make film on a tiny tiny scale and they yeah. they also realized okay it's too tiny so yeah 
they talked to the the government the government let them into these buildings before they were going to be demolished and they this is going to sound hilarious they literally went around with post-it notes putting do do not throw away do not throw away do not throw away that's amazing oh man on just about every kind of machinery that they we felt like we would need for the future to be able to be to get to this self-contained status that we see in our future and that is where we make everything ourselves internally including Mm -hmm. the the base material all the chemistry, actually do the production of the film, and even spool and box the film. Mm. So we saved, nice. uh, that part of the process is called finishing, just in general. And we said we saved all the finishing machines that we could for 35 millimeter, 120, uh, all the different cinema formats, and even 127 and 126. Oh, uh, no kidding. Yeah. Awesome. Although our, our 126 machine is going to need some work to get it back uh, up and running. But uh, the 127 machine, for example, is pretty simple. Uh, we also saved... So the big industrial coder, <clears throat> which we call Big Boy in our Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was the size of a football field and nine stories tall. Jeez. Um, wow. So we went in and just took parts of that. Things that we felt that we could use somewhere down the road to take our tiny little coder and be able to Mm. extend its capacity. Because when it comes to coding film, if you think about it, the film has to run through the coder at a certain speed, okay? And then it has to dry before you can actually roll it onto spools. And so the length of that tunnel that it goes through, uh, that it dries, when I say tunnel, I mean it's this up and down, up and down, over belts that have air jets so that it never actually touches anything. And each, each stage of the coder, of the drying tunnel, has a different atmospheric pressure, a different humidity, so that it dries the film at the right speed. So if you can make that tunnel longer, you can essentially coat more film in a, right. in a given time period. Yeah. So we saved some of that stuff. And then we, what we really needed to do was save just about everything we could related to making chemistry. So that's everything from beakers and stirrers, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, which they had, you know, of course, by the case. Yeah. All the all the testing equipment, microscopes, electron microscope, all kinds of different testing equipment, some of which is vintage, like from the 20s and 30s, including this amazing Zeiss camera that they have in a box that was used way, way back to, to test films. Plus all the the industrial scale mixing equipment. So these titanium vats that are mix, you know, 40 liters, 80 liters, 100 liters, 200 liters. And these vats, just to give you this one small example, these vats, they're made of titanium. They're really heavy. They're solid with like two inch thick walls. They have, yeah. they have vacuum sealable lids on them that have a special machine that goes in and stirs to make one of these from scratch is, you know, 10, 10 grand. And, oh my goodness. Yeah, and, and we bought them. Uh, we bought, I'm just extrapolating from what we paid. We probably paid 50 bucks for it. <laughs> no way. <laughs> that is awesome. Because, you know, they were going to tear these buildings down. And so yeah, they, uh-huh. they sold us this equipment at its weight in steel. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. So uh, we we raised money on the Kickstarter. 
because we knew, okay, we have this tiny factory and we can make a tiny bit of film, but that's not really viable. We still want to stay small, but we need these other things for, for the future. And yeah. without that future, there really wasn't much point in moving forward. And the government had given us this deadline. You need to get all this out of these buildings because we're going to start tearing them down. So we did the Kickstarter in 2014. We raised 320 some thousand dollars. And not only were we able to buy everything that we talked about in the Kickstarter campaign, but we got some bonus materials as well. Some of the buildings took a little bit longer to tear down than others. And so we would just ask nicely, hey, can we have what's in that building? <laughs> Smart. <laughs> also. And yeah. so we, we, we managed to get a lot more equipment for that same amount of money than we ever expected. Plus, Man. We, got, we got about, uh, well, this year marks the 100-year anniversary since the founding of F-I-L-M, okay? F period, I period, L period, M period, which was the name of the very first company. Uh, they didn't start making film till 1923, but 1917 was the founding. So we got every bit of documentation about everything that they ever did, including blueprints of the buildings that they built, uh, yeah. Some really amazing stuff. And it's all on these, you know, six foot tall wrapped pallets uh, in our storage to protect it. But it's yeah. li literally a hundred years worth of intellectual property regarding the making of film. Yeah. And we got all of that basically because of this Kickstarter campaign. And then we went to work. We had inherited sort of uh, all these materials to make what we thought was one decent-sized batch of color reversal film. We started on that process. We started documenting it on our website. We even went as far as to get an office here in the U.S. and really and work full-time in the lead-up to this. And then in March of 2015, some contractors found asbestos in our basement. No. Um, oh, man. I remember hearing that. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, you know... It, it's one of these things we've explained to people again and again, but it, it's like, it was a devastating thing to happen, not yeah. because of the asbestos itself, but because the government owned the building. The government had to take care of the remediation and it took them yeah. nearly three months to do it. <laughs> oh God. Cause of course they, it's the government. They have to take bids. They have to, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have to meet and talk about those bids. They have to take a second round of bids. The actual removal of the asbestos took like two or three days. Cheese, of uh, course. But yeah, but it was that window from March until the end of May was the window of opportunity that we had to make this Kickstarter batch of film. There were a few reasons for that. First of all, because I'm just going to call it the air conditioner. It's this giant power plant that sits outside the building that controls mm -hmm. the humidity and the temperature and a lot of other stuff. It was old, but it, it worked. But it wasn't powerful enough to combat the external temperature. So we knew that by the mm -hmm. end of May, we were going to start hitting temperatures in northern Italy that, that overwhelmed this machine. Second, the government had, since the very beginning, said that in the summer of 2015 summer to fall of 2015, we need to do infrastructural changes to the building so that you can be actually certified by the government as a manufacturer. That meant fixing the roof, replacing a lot of the electrical systems. Um, getting it up to code. Getting it up to code. 
Um, mm-hmm. And during during that whole time, they severed our umbilical to the rest of the campus. So we had this. It it, it was like up on these ten foot trellises that ran like a monorail around the campus, uh, and they oh just. My God. One day, just like came in with a giant saw and cut it. So not only did we find the asbestos, which took too long to remediate, we lost our window to make the back the the backer batch, and we had to move into this new phase where, honestly, for most of that time, we weren't even really allowed the building because they were doing work. And even wow. if even if we had been allowed in the building, there wasn't much that we could do to to get around it. So we, we communicated this to our backers all along. We've tried to be really, really super transparent about everything. We've had our detractors, people who think that we haven't been as transparent as we should be. Yeah. Or, or whatever. But, you know, it, it's, it's a situation where it's a, an incredibly complex set of variables, you know. And, I could only imagine, yeah. And, and, and stopping for five seconds... 10 minutes, 20 minutes to write a status meant that I had to ignore some things that might happen, uh, but we didn't know if they were going to or not in order to give people an update. And, you know, it seemed there was a period of time there that every time I wrote an update and published it, two or three days later, something else changed. Something else popped up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So fast forward. (laughs) Once we got back in the building, we realized there were lots of things that got broken in the process of fixing other things that we had to fix. Wow. And it was September of 2016 before we really got to a point where all of our team was sitting in a room and saying, okay, what do we do now? By that time, we were certified as a manufacturer. Okay, that's good. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, we had the coder running. We had done some tests coding a green material. We had the staff that we needed uh, only. We've had to be very, very careful about how we've spent our very, very limited money. So our staff size has pretty much always stayed the same. And we've changed the people in and out based on their expertise to to do exactly what we need to do. And so the team that was gathered, which is the team that we still have today, said, okay, next step is making a two-layer film, which is black and white film. Black and white, yeah. 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 And we had some emulsions that had been sent to us by uh, another company to do our testing. Uh, those had expired <laughs> because of the, oh, man. the long time that it took yeah, for the government. Yeah, all the wait. Yeah. But during that wait, uh, during all that time, our team wasn't just sitting back, you know, drinking wine. Yeah, sipping you know? Mai Tais. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> In fact, Marco had had really been going through the the data that we had, all this back data. And he found the handwritten formula for a 35 millimeter still version of P30 based on the cinema version. Yeah. Uh, Which, and we posted a picture of it on our site somewhere. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, And then even better, he found the documentation where they had actually adapted that formula to run in our building on our coder wow. with, with our with our equipment. So come on. So the team was like, okay, let's let's make that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was really we never intended to release it. It was really just if you're going to make color reversal film, which is 16 layers. Wow. Okay. Wow. In the 
And in our machine, that means two passes through the machine because our coder only lays down eight layers at a time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we, we did one layer, <laughs> then we went to two, two layers, and then we would have jumped to, to probably an eight-layer film that, that wouldn't necessarily be film but would at least prove that we could run all eight layers at once right? Mm-hmm. and then go to 16. And that was the plan. So I was there in December when they ran the first 17 meters of this P30 film and it was nasty. It was all scratched up and it had all kinds of problems, but you know, that was the first film that we had coded wow. um, yeah. as, as a company after, oh, after all this time. And they hand rolled one roll one thirty-five millimeter roll. At, <laughs> Who shot and, it? Uh, Nicola Baldini, our founder, got to shoot it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nice, nice. Took it. He lives in Florence, which is beautiful. Oh, and, I can only imagine. Yeah, so he took it downtown Florence and and took some pictures. Uh, there's a picture of a horse with its uh, minder because they have they do carriage rides around uh, yeah. Florence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that became the, sort of the first official picture taken on anything made wow. by Film Ferrania. And it was, again, scratched up and kind of odd, but but beautiful. You could see past the flaws right. to see something that yeah. was really oh, yeah. beautiful. And Man, what a feeling. Yeah, it, it, was, it was really an amazing point. And then, you know, also, but, and now we're talking early 2017, we're like, okay, we... We kind of need to make some money. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've we've kind of you know we've milked everything to its last cent. Right. Uh, our our bank was very nice to us through all of this. They actually upgraded our our financial status once we made our first film. But uh, yeah, you know, it really got to a point where we needed to start two things. We we needed to show everybody who had been doubting us all this time that we could actually make something. And we were so proud that the first thing that we made was so gorgeous that we were like, yeah. let's, let's sell that stuff. Yeah, uh, definitely. And then, and that brings us, you know, we did the pre-sale. The pre-sale we had to shut down after six days because the factory team was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, too um, many, too many, too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're like, it's going to take us a little while to make all that. So, you know, let, let's, let's cut it there. Yeah. It ended up taking us three months to ship all that film, four months. But in the process, we managed to learn a lot about, you know, some efficiencies that we need to introduce. I managed to get us warehouses in the U.S. and in Europe. And we have a a partner in in Hong Kong as well. So it was, um, I mean, considering that it's five people in the factory, two founders and me, Jeez. Uh, we, we have to it's like... It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of work to do for so yeah. few people. And I think that... Um, I mean, it, it's funny. I'm, I monitor all of our socials. I do... I write most of the communications. I'm the one who bears the brunt of most of the complaints. And, yeah. Right, true. And, yeah and, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. and, and nine times out of ten, you know... There's a part of me that just wants to say, you think you can do it better? Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Come on over. (laughs) There's a part of me that wants to, you know, but the simple fact is I've been on the other end of this Mm -hmm. as a a Kickstarter backer, as a film fan for many years. Right. So I, I do, I really do understand the frustration and I try my best to, to basically, even if people don't read these very long posts I put on our website. 
it is there on the record, you know, right. and, and if people really do want to find out why something happened or why this has taken so long, I, I feel like it, it is all there. Yeah. And, and really considering the size of our team, that's kind of the best that we can, that we can do. I hope the majority of people like understands what you guys are really doing and trying to accomplish for the film photography community. And just, you know, like I'll wait. If you if you promise to make me keep making film for me, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah. The vast majority 100%. Yeah. The vast majority understand. The Good. vast. I mean, vast. Like Good. if if you just take our backers, we have 5500 backers. It's so maybe 2 or 3%. Yeah. Of those actually complain. There's another 10% or so that have just kind of forgotten. Yeah. The, the <laughs> hey. film was like, oh, I ordered this. I forgot. Oh, <laughs> man. Day. That's funny. Yeah. Hey, did, wasn't I supposed to get some film from you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then uh, among our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, there's, there's again, a few people who, who like to complain that's fine. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's fine. Like, I don't mind hearing complaints. And, and in fact, I'm the kind of person who I don't want it all rosy. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah. I, I want yeah. I want the good and the bad because right. that helps us really make decisions. Right. And and I've actually, because of some of the complaints, I've altered to some degree the way I talk about things that are hypothetical, you know, things that, mm. are, that are in the future for That's us. Smart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good lesson. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that pretty much brings us up to date. I mean, we're going to relaunch the shop in a few weeks. Great. We're right now trying to build up some stock in our warehouses. Mm. We're going to face some shortages for the rest of this year, probably. Right. Because we're still, you know, trying to push as much out of that tiny little factory as we can. And there's certain things that will hugely expand our capacity, but cost money. Right. And, yeah. You need money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and and it's what's become really clear to us is that sure we can make this Kickstarter batch of film, but we can't then not make any more color film for two years yeah. or whatever after right, that. Right. You know, so we have to be in a position where we can start making it and keep making it. Right. And all of that has to do with our scale, and our and getting our scale to a point where. Okay, we can put P30 sort of on cruise control yep. so it doesn't take so much attention. We can return all of our effort to making the color reversal film and then be able to keep making both of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, for forever, you know. It's it's um that's what's become really clear to us is that until we get to that scale, it's not Yes, we could make the Kickstarter batch, and yes, it would make some Kickstarter backers happy, but it wouldn't make anybody else happy. True. <laughs> because... Yeah, cause I was I wasn't a backer, Me and either. I really want the Me film. Too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And we're at a we're at a point too where the number of people following us on social media and on our mailing list is two or three times what our backers were, and I don't mean that yeah. as a slight to our backers because. Quite literally, we would not be where we are today without exactly. our Kickstarter backers. Oh, yeah. I'm so um, thankful they backed you guys. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, there, there's more to the story now than, right. than mm -hmm. just that. And and that's the really hard thing to kind of to, to wrestle with sometimes is, is, you know, we want to show our backers that we 100% respect every bit 
of everything that they've done, not just giving us the, the money to begin with, but their patience, their encouragement for the most part mm -hmm. uh, through all this time. But at the same time, we have a whole new range of people. So we have to be able to do it all, not just right. part and then part. Right. Um, so, yeah. Now, didn't you offer the backers the P30 as well? Did a lot of them take the P30 instead of waiting for the the color reversal film? We did it. We did a choice. Okay, keep your original reward and mm -hmm. get a coupon to buy up to five rolls of P30 at our cost. Oh, okay. Or okay. Or if you're just totally sick of waiting, <laughs> you can end this Kickstarter pain and take P30 <laughs> for free uh, with the stickers yeah. that we originally promised as an exchange for your original reward. Here's the funny thing. We thought a lot of people would take the exchange. Yeah. Just to be done with the whole Kickstarter yeah. thing, right? But that's not what happened at all. Not, uh, not the case. Man, no. awesome. That's we, awesome. Just, yeah. a few, just a couple hundred people took the exchange. Many thousands of people Man, no kidding. got the coupon. That's awesome. Yeah. See? Yeah, yeah. that's great. So it's like they let their yeah. money, they let their original reward ride. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, it's going to take some. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was, it, it really surprised me. Um, I think, because I, I always try to put myself in the position, okay, if I were a backer, what would I do? Right. I, I would take the film and be done with it, you know, right. and just have it out of my brain. Right. You know? See, um, that's tough. I don't know, man. I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> I wish I, I just caught on to the whole Ferrania thing a little too late. Like I missed the whole Kickstarter. It was like right after you guys were done with it is when I, I think it was like Ted Forbes or something like that brought up, had a video about it yeah. and I came across the thing and, you know, and then when I saw you guys found the formula for the P30, I was just like, no way. <laughs> like, this is great because I'm a, I'm a black and white shooter. So yeah. like, I, you know, I was like, yeah, Ferrania, color film, whatever. I'm not, you know, I'm glad there's a new company out doing something. But then you guys were like black and white. And I was like, whatever I can do to help. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the trick is the trick about film Ferrania. And the reason why I really threw my chips in with this, with this company is because I've learned a lot over the last few years about the, oh, the, I bet. the business I bet. itself. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. And the simple fact is there are really only today one company, Fuji, that is completely self-contained. Oh, that can, really? That can make huh. film from beginning to end within their own facilities. Interesting. Uh, Kodak uh, lost, uh, they sold off their um, acetate machines mm. years ago. So they can't make the base for the cinema films. Uh, I think they can still oh, okay. make okay. the base for their... Uh, polyester films but you know Ilford uh, also what you would think of as a manufacturer they still have to buy in some components that's interesting uh, wow yeah and yeah, all of them, I did not know that yeah all of the smaller brands all of them have to buy something or another either yeah. a, a, a component semi-finished or finished or a service from Ilford Kodak or Fuji yeah, no kidding. Yeah, because there's no other... Uh, FOMA gets really close. FOMA is almost a full-scale manufacturer, and that's it. Uh, and Film Ferrania is the last potential for there to be another self-contained black and white and color Wonderful. Uh, yeah. manufacturer. And, and I, I really... I quickly saw the potential for this. And, mm -hmm. and when I think about the future of our company, I'm, you know, I'm giddy. Uh, yeah. with optimism yes. right 
Oh, uh, I, I bet. Yeah. Even though the, the time in between now and the future is, has been a struggle. Right. Um, for sure. Yeah. That just means it's going to be worth it. Yeah. yeah. Anything <laughs> is worth it is, is always worth it. <laughs> That's what they say. Man. Yeah. yeah. You said you had 19 buildings. Are you guys just working out of one? Like, do you have like one big building with a lot of room left for you guys to grow? Or is it kind of, are you going to expand in time? Like what's, what's kind of your, your goal with that whole thing? Well, we have one building. It's a uh, 5,000 square meters. So about 15, 16,000 square feet. It's five floors. Uh, one of those floors is uh, all like machinery. Mm-hmm. You know, the water intake and purifiers, the the engine, basically, of the building. The second floor is where the coder is, all the testing rooms. And the way the building is designed is you have a core in the middle that's all blacked out. And then you have a ring of rooms around the edge that are offices or daylight testing uh, labs. Okay, okay, yeah. Now, we're only using for the first floor, of course, because that's the engine. The second floor because of the coder and that's actually we've taken some of those rooms uh, as offices and the third and fourth and fifth floor are closed off right now because we don't want to have to pay to heat them and cool them Uh, Uh, yeah so we have those three floors that we can expand into and there's a lot that we can do on those floors because the building is built is overbuilt you know it's built like you know super solid uh, even at that, if we move certain kind of heavy equipment, we might have to shore up the floors. We might have to black mm-hmm. out some some additional rooms. But we have a lot of play in the way that we can expand into the upper floors. And then it looks like so when we bought the base casting equipment, which we called Trixie on our Kickstarter, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Trixie, Cute. because. I had to come up with these cutesy names and I, I kind of regret it now, but uh, <laughs> Trixie is makes triacetate and triacetate is the base material. And mm-hmm. we saved two of the triacetate casting lines. One is a pilot line that makes um, basically rolls that fit our coder. And then one is to the Kodak standard, which is about a meter and a half wide. So it's a huge roll. And these we bought and we thought at some point in time, we were going to have to move everything, which after I saw the equipment, I was like, you guys are crazy to think that you could ever move this stuff. (laughs) I mean, mean, we're, we're talking like it's, you know, it's factory, (laughs) it's industrial factory equipment. Mm -hmm. It's all cast iron and bolted to the floors and and all this, but it turns out, Turns out the the government uh, stopped short of tearing down that building, and it looks like we might actually lease that building and leave everything oh. in place, which would yeah, save us great. an enormous amount of money and allow us to put those machines online a little sooner in our timeline than, than we had hoped. So we might end up having two buildings out great. of the 19. <laughs> Yeah, I was just wondering how you were going to get, you know, like you said, your your goal is to have both, you know, the color and the black and white running. So I was just wondering if you were going to like open up another building or what what kind of the goal was with that. There's always that potential. You know, we could we could once they get everything cleared, we could build another building if we needed to. Mm-hmm. But um, honestly, we would need to be at a certain scale that would allow for that would necessitate that. 
And we don't see that happening in the next five years, six years. Right. We would have to be much, much, much bigger. I mean, we would have to be, you know, in terms of the market share, our goal in five years is to recapture the 4% market share that Ferrania used to have. Okay. Uh, 4%. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we can be very happy with right. just that 4%. Right. If we get to five, six, seven, ten percent 10%, then we would need to expand for right. sure. Yeah. Man, crazy. I told you it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's good to know because like, you know, the original email that you reached out to us about, you were just saying like how, you know, stories get so skewed and people just kind of hearsay things and say them. And then that's kind of what, you know, yeah. what the story is. Because we weren't 100% when we were kind of talking about it, which is now it's it's just like really cool to you know, get, get, the facts, get to talk to you. Get yeah, get the lowdown <laughs> on, on Ferrania because, I mean, we're we're diehard film fans, so it's you're, you're just breathing breathing some hope into this whole thing. Yeah, and I, I really, I've been trying to make it very clear that we're not some monolith uh, that you have to get. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have to go through 15 layers of, of uh, secretaries and middle managers. That's great. Uh, yeah. You know, we're just ready to talk. You know, that's uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, Dave, can you tell us a little bit about your time with Impossible Project? Sure. So, you know, I, I really kind of I was a late bloomer to photography as a serious thing. You know, I grew up always having a Polaroid camera, always mm -hmm. having an SLR that basically only came out on vacations and birthdays and holidays. Yeah. Mm, um, yeah. Same here. Yeah. And uh, in 2003, thanks to eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I saw I was <clears throat> scrolling through <clears throat> some listings and I saw a Voigtlander Bessa two a six by nine rangefinder mm. folding mm. camera with a leather bellows. It's a six by nine folding rangefinder with with a, a bellows. It was made by this German company called Voigtlander in the sixties, uh, I believe, and it was just gorgeous, just yeah. a, a gorgeous piece of yeah. machinery, mm -hmm. right? And I was like, oh, and that you can shoot 120 film in that, like, and you can still get 120 film. So I ended up not being able to afford a Bessa 2 because they were going for collector prices, like two grand. Yeah, you know, yeah, they are. Mm -hmm. But uh, I ended up getting an earlier Bessa, a pre war uh, Bessa rangefinder that had a Heliar lens and that I took with me in 2004 on a trip to Paris and shot what is still to this day one of my favorite photos I've ever taken. And there was something about the, I had only ever up to that point had fully automatic cameras. And for me, I, I, I took crappy pictures because of, I, didn't, I, I didn't think about it. You know, right. I was, yeah. you know, this was before digital, but I still sprayed and prayed. You know? <laughs> yeah, mm. and, and I and I had good Photoshop <laughs> skills, you know, mm -hmm. from being a designer yeah. for so many years, and I knew that I could fix it. I could like, oh, I could take the head from that guy in that frame and put it on, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> been there. But then I I used mechanical cameras for the first time, where you have to think about every little thing. You have to take a meter reading, and you have to set the shutter and set the aperture and. And have to be very careful and have to shoot very slowly. And with a six by nine rangefinder, you have eight shots. Whoa. Yeah. That's that's not many at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you have to really 
edit like on the spot. You're like, do I really yeah. want to com commit that to? Mm -hmm. Is that really good enough to 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 spend a frame of film on yeah. that? And I found that in that process, I my work changed entirely, and my focus on film cameras really started to take off. And I, I became this eBay nut, uh, buying and selling and try. I would buy, try. Sell. Resell, buy, <laughs> try, sell. resell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I went through uh, who knows how many cameras. And uh, at one point in time, I bought an SX70 because, again, I just admired its industrial design, and and I knew enough about Polaroid to know that um, you know I had a kind of a passing respect for Edwin Land about the kind of businessman he was, about right. the inventor that he was, mm -hmm. and that sort of was the beginning of the rabbit hole. I fell in love with my beat up SX-70. Such a great nasty. camera. And it was nasty looking. It was one of the white ones with the fake leather. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. You know, the fake leather had like half chipped off. Um, yeah, yeah, it just rubs off onto everything. Yeah, it rubbed off in my camera bag. I eventually just peeled mm -hmm. it all off. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's what I did with mine too. <laughs> but I completely fell in love with the camera, and especially once I, uh, you know, SX70 film vanished, and then I was, you know, went online and found out that you could put a, a ND filter on the pack and use 600 film, and I was like, awesome. Mm -hmm. And I, my love for Polaroid started to build and build, and in this would have been December of 20, 2007, uh, I got this bright idea. I'm like, you know, at weddings and bar mitzvahs and stuff, they put all these crappy one-use cameras, disposable mm -hmm. cameras, mm -hmm. on the yeah, tables. Disposable. Yeah. What about if instead we put Polaroid cameras on the tables? Oh, cool. So, and I, you know, I was on eBay enough to understand, and I was like, okay, the Sun 660, this was the camera I focused mm -hmm. on. It's the classic Polaroid shape. Uh, it has an autofocus. It has a two-foot focal range, which is kind of unique and I could buy them for 10 bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I started buying them. I started buying them. And at the same time <laughs> I, um, and, and, and the thought was we would just do it here in New York city. Uh, we would make a couple of road cases and we would get a license from Polaroid to buy the film at wholesale. So I applied for a license at, at Polaroid. I never heard back from them. And then in February, 2008. <gasps> boom. Yep. Oh my gosh. Boom. <laughs> We're going to stop making film. Such a good idea, though, man. You had it. I you know. had it. Just like two years too, <laughs> too late. Yeah. Yeah. So I was mad. And um, <clears throat> by this time, I had, I had I was deep into Flickr and, and a lot of the Polaroid communities on Flickr. And I had met some people who are friends to, to this day. Love that. And a friend of mine, Sean Tabretti, and I decided to make SavePolaroid.com. And we didn't really know how it would be saved, but we felt like someone out there, whether it was Polaroid or someone else, was was missing the fact that tens of thousands of people on Flickr were not just shooting Polaroid film, but actually taking the time to scan it and post it. Which, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and we thought that, that's got to be the tip of the iceberg. Those are the most avid, right, right? of the ones that are taking the time to scan and post them. So there's got to be a lot more people out there that still use this film. So we started Save Polaroid. We tried to do whatever we could. 
no one was really interested in hearing what we had to say. Only Ilford really gave us any kind of response. And their response was like, look, we tried to save the Type 55 machinery, mm -hmm. but it was too expensive to bring it over here to England. So sorry. Yeah. Oh, bummer. Yeah. And then uh, I found out about uh, Unsaleable in Vienna. Unverkäuflich. Unsaleable was uh, run by Doc Florian Doc Caps, yeah. and he was selling Polaroid film. A lot of it expired that he would scavenge from places around the world. And I, I wrote to him, and I'm like, sir, do you know anything more about this than we do? Is there some potential that, that this could be saved? And he wrote me back these series of very cryptic messages that basically were like, don't give up hope, keep doing what you're doing. Some things are in the works, you know. What does and then it in November, yeah, in no in November of that of two thousand eight, he came to the states. He was here to visit John Reuter from the twenty by twenty four studio, but he he, yeah. he also uh, had lunch with with me and my girlfriend Anne, and that's when he told us he bought the factory in Enschede and explained. That's incredible. Uh, and explain to us that this, that, okay, yeah, it's a factory, but it's really the place where they put all the different components together, right? Mm. So, and all those components were made mostly in Boston at factories that had been destroyed years before. Oh, my. Yeah. He's like, so technically making a Polaroid film is impossible, uh, but... We have a crew of people who think we can reinvent it. Yes. We can do it. And that, and, and so we just kind of, as freelancers, really, uh, we just kind of helped to promote what was then called Polo Premium in the U.S. And then we actually started on salary with, uh, we started Impossible USA in May of 2009. And... By the fall of 2009, we got an office, and then by the spring of 2010, we released the first Impossible film, and it just went from there. And I stayed with the company. I built the U.S. shop. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. um, started a, a large-scale camera reclamation business where we bought cameras by the hundreds uh, from pickers and from eBay and from walk-ins to the store, uh, you know, and we found one guy here in New York who was a uh, trained Polaroid repair technician. Oh man. And, yeah. <laughs> and he had his work cut out yeah. for him, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and he was also near retirement. Okay. So he worked for a, a company here in New York and it got to be, we were giving them so many cameras at a time. I mean, but the first time I walked in there, I, I had two of those big blue Ikea bags Dang. full of SX-70s, only SX-70s. And I'm like, here you go. <laughs> uh, fix as many of them as you can and use and keep the rest for parts. And um, that grew and we internalized it. And Jose, this guy Jose, eventually came to work for us and mentored a, a, a new team of people to sort of take over uh, uh, as he yes. re retired. And, Smart. and I also, you know, again, my job there was very similar to my job now at, 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 at Ferrania, where 
basically anything that needed to be done, I learned how to do it and did it. That included lots of different things. But eventually my job kind of settled into being wholesale. So I, I you know, found all the stores and sold film to uh, in, into that channel and just sort of monitored social media, monitored the camera department, monitored the shop to make sure everything was, was going well. And, and that lasted until the fall of 2013. And plus at that same time, I had heard about film Ferrania. And yeah, I was just wondering like how that overlapped, yeah. like if it was kind of like a, well, I, I am loyal to a fault. So I did not contact film Ferrania until I left impossible. And I wrote to Nicola Baldini, the, the founder, this three-page kind of manifesto of right. this is how you sell film in the 21st century. Basically, line one was everything about the way film was sold mm-hmm. is is dead is dead. Right. Yeah. When Absolutely. they say yeah, when they say film is dead, that's really what they're talking right, about. Right, right, right. Yeah. What also is, was very, very clear to me was that everybody that makes film today is still too big. They were built, all these factories were built to make millions and millions and millions of rolls right. per year. Yeah. We need a factory that can make thousands and thousands of rolls. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the only way that it's the manufacturing part of it's going to be viable for a long period of time. And so I, I sent this manifesto and, and Nicola, like less than 24 hours later, sent me back an English translation of the Italian prospectus that he sent to the government in order to be able to walk onto the campus and do the research. And it basically was the same thing I was saying. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, okay, meeting of the minds. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. um, And, and, you know, we've had our, we talk a couple times a week, usually over Slack because it's free. (laughs) (laughs) And, We've yet to have any real arguments about the philosophical kind of aspects of what we're doing. There's a lot of times I get frustrated that I can't share uh, some of the information that I know because there's just too much that could change about it. You know, he's like, I'll tell you this now, but, But. (laughs) but, but be aware that it could change tomorrow or the next day. But I've learned even more through Nicola about just how codependent that mm-hmm. that all the manuf- all the brands that sell film are all very codependent right, on, on 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 each other and the manufacturers. And so, although we're technically kind of in competition with one another, <laughs> there's behind the scenes it's a lot more. Let's figure out how to solve these problems so that we yeah. can continue. To compete. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's... that scares me with when you say that, though, that these, you know, the big the big boys are built to run these huge loads of, you know, film and stuff like that. And they're not they're not comprehending that. Are they not getting that they need to kind of scale down? Oh, no, and... they get it. Um, it they... Kodak has spent it's been published and I don't want to quote a number right. that yeah. uh, is wrong. But Kodak has spent tens of millions of dollars to downsize to where they are today oh, good, cool. uh, in Rochester. And of course have closed mm. all their other factories around the world. And then there was the bankruptcy and the split with Rochester and, and Alaris in England. Um, you know, they've done a, a champion's job of, of really yeah. trying to 
get to the scale that they need. Uh, Ilford has done the same. Uh, Fuji, I don't know. Fuji is a, a walled city that yeah. very few people have. They are. They, they don't tell uh, anybody they've anything obviously done until well it's with gone. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've obviously done really For well sure. with Instax, and I know that they've also expanded into cosmetics and uh, pharmaceutical stuff because a lot of the things that you make for film are acetates, are like intermediary products that can also be used in a lot of other things. So Fuji's managed to survive. I, I don't think Fuji's going to go out of business anytime soon. They might stop no. making certain films, but I think they'll keep a core product line alive I for some so. time. Mm-hmm. I, I think Kodak has probably also hit that point where they can see a future that isn't blowing up more buildings. Good. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope not. Oh, yeah. man. But I, I think the unique proposition that we have with Ferrania is that we're one of the only manufacturers that has the opportunity to grow. Right. Yeah. Not downsize. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we can keep it tight, you know, keep everything, keep our staff small, keep our operations, our footprint small, our overhead low, then we can really do this indefinitely, even if the market were to slide off a, a little bit more, yeah. which everyone says is not the way it's going right now. It's all it doesn't seem like well, it. Yeah, I was I was just going to ask that from like what you said, 2012, you got involved with Ferrania. Like what what have you seen from then till now? 13. Uh, what, yeah. what have you seen from then till now? With the growth well, of film, like, do you feel like it's kind of on an uprise or? So there's this term, dead cat bounce. I don't know if you've heard this term. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, I, I've heard that. It's kind of a vague, it's a weird kind of gross business term that when a market hits the bottom, there's this, they call it a dead cat bounce. And it, it you know, it's like it'll hit the bottom and then it'll rise and then it'll hit it again and then, and then it's dead, right? No, gotcha. Yeah. And a lot of people have who are very cynical about film think that we're just in the dead cat bounce. We're in the kind of upswing after it hitting bottom mm-hmm. and then it's going to, it's going to hit a peak and then it's going to drop again and then it'll be dead. We don't think that at all. And I think a lot of the people into the, in the industry itself uh, understand that just like oil paint never went away when mm-hmm. Photoshop was, invented, yeah, exactly. you know, people still make typewriters. Yeah, and like records, people, my brother has a huge record collection, stuff like that. Records are a great uh, analogy because everybody thought records were dead. Mm -hmm. And and then this year, Sony announces they're reopening a record pressing plant because the volume has gotten so great that... That's so great. Wow, that's... Yeah, so I don't think it's the dead cat bounce. I think that there's a real, and I've been saying this for years, I, I, I think that there are a portion of the population... It's not a huge one, but it's a steady portion of the population who will always find something to like about film. Right. Whether it's the process, the slowing down, you know, the the all the handwork, you know, there are people that you will you will take my dark room out of my cold dead yeah. hands, you know. There's, you know, that's me. Yeah. There's, there's something about the process that a certain population will, uh, percentage of the population will always like. That's, that's the yeah. what I believe, and it's simply a matter of adjusting 
everything about making the products to suit that. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. And um, when you're talking about an industry as big as film was, because film used to be the only way you could take a picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now it's one of a hundred ways. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, True. You, you know, you can make your own wet plates. You can go to a tin type studio. You can uh, take photos on any manner of, of old cameras or new toy cameras. Yeah. Uh, you can make instant photos or roll film photos, large format, small format. Uh, and then, of course, digital of all sorts, from your iPhone all the way up to, you know, $40,000, $50,000 Hasselblad. So oh, yeah. mm -hmm. I like the idea that we have this enormous amount of choice right now mm -hmm. about how to make a photograph. And I don't think anyone wants less choice. No. There might no. be people out there that are like, ah, oh, film, what, what's the point? You know, but I think if it were to go away, those same people would still kind of in their black heart uh, <laughs> uh, feel feel some amount of loss just in the in the in the sense that there's now less choice yeah you know yeah no I agree you know film is one of those things that is incredibly hard to make incredibly expensive to make and so it's all about making it at the right scale it really is and with regard to cameras pr uh, chemistry dark rooms, uh, all the other aspects that make up film photography, I really think once the film issue is solved, like solved, like mm. Kodak, Ilford, Fuji, Film Ferrania, Raleigh, Orvo, all these, once everyone is like, okay, we're solid. Right. We're good. It's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then I think there becomes this new sense that, okay, if it's not going anywhere, then maybe we can invest some money to make a good new camera yeah. instead of just a plastic one. Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe we can invest some money in our arts facility downtown to put a dark room back in, you know? And, and this is, I, I think it starts with the product itself and that hopefully over time, gradually pe people will start... Uh, People will stop asking me on the street. You can still buy film for that. Oh my god! Oh, I I get all I get that time. all the time. Yep. That's mm. that's my goal. Before I die, yeah, I want that Same. to not. <laughs> to, I want that to yes. to not be a thing. Yes. Oh, uh, that would be amazing. That that's my you know if if I had to say that's what I want on my tombstone. Yes, you can buy <laughs> film. <for that. laughs> Oh, That's man. awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say to anyone out there listening or running across this podcast, you know, four months from now or whatever, that, you know, contacting us is not hard. We have email addresses published on our website. We have a contact form. <laughs> We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook really regularly, Tumblr every once in a while. Uh, you know, I do as many podcasts and, and uh, YouTube feeds and whatever as I can. You know, we are here, uh, I am here specifically to answer questions and to, to try to help people understand on one level how difficult it is, uh, everything that we're doing, right. but also to kind of give some, some optimism to the situation mm -hmm. that, okay, it's true, running a factory does not work on internet time. Right. Right? No. no. Uh, -uh. uh when, when you post this podcast and it airs, we won't have everything fixed because uh, internet time and 
real world time are very different. And when you're talking about a factory, it's 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 like watching a snail crawl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we don't similar to to this. We don't have updates every 15 minutes. You know. Yeah. Uh, there are sometimes days that go by when there's really nothing new for us to say. Right. Sometimes weeks because we're just Working. trying to figure out one thing, you mm-hmm. know, one thing that we have to get in place before we can go to the next thing. It's very linear in a, in a certain way. Right now, our effort is how do we get as much film in our warehouse, warehouses, <laughs> yeah. uh, before, before we reopen the shop? We have some meetings in the next couple of weeks that might help us out a, a, a good bit. Um, I think the fact that we've made film finally, a lot of people are who kind of wrote us off maybe a little bit in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. um, those, those guys are nuts to think that they can get that back up and running with seven people. Are, they're now saying, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that new film that looks pretty good for our first try. And uh, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's just amazing. Seven people. Yeah. Something to be seven very proud people. of. That's awesome. I cannot say enough about these. I mean, you're talking about Marco, our co-founder, who is a bona fide genius. Okay. Hmm. Like a genius, not, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being hyperbolic. Oh, I believe it. He is a genius. <laughs> and then we have on our staff, three of our staff have multiple patents to their name from their time oh. when they worked with 3M. And these are serious people. You know, I've been trying for two weeks now to get them to give me some rules of thumb about processing P30. And they're like, well, we can't test it, so we can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, rules yeah. of thumb uh, to scientists, uh, yeah. th- that doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't work. mean anything, yeah. <laughs> no. So, you know, it, they're very serious people, and they totally know what they're doing. And we would not be here without them, which is why, you know, they're still on the homepage of our website. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. because they are really the, the engine. That, that's making this whole thing run. And we have another group of about five or six that we want to bring back in in the next uh, six months. So it's great. Man. Yeah. Lots to come. That's great. With the P30, are you going to be, are you doing pre-sales or how, how is that working? Are you doing like a pre-order for that or just kind of we, once it opens, what we have, what you have is what you got kind of thing. Yeah. The pre-sale was kind of a nightmare. So <laughs> yeah, from here I, I on imagine. out, yeah, from here on out, it's going to be, we're going to put some in stock and when it's sold out, it's sold out. And when we have more, we'll, you know, and, yeah. you know, we have a, a big mailing list and of course we're active on social. So we'll make sure that people know from, you know, okay, it's, it's now all gone, but we'll have more in a couple of weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be yeah. like that through the fall. It's going to be kind of, you know, Get in when you can. Right. Get as, as much as you can. Yeah, I do not want to miss. I do not want to miss this yeah. next push that you do. I didn't. I just want to make sure I get on that. <laughs> we still have a couple thousand backers uh, who weren't able to use their coupons the first time. Oh wow. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, man, they're going to probably rush us pretty, uh, pretty quickly, and so. Oh yeah. yeah. So it, it's going to be an ongoing uh, kind of on and off thing. But no more pre-sales because that was just, I, I can tell you, I, I, I hand processed every single order myself. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, no more, no more pre-sales. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Good to know. All right, everybody. So right now we're going to um, take a question from one of our listeners. This question this week comes from Justin Rolla. He said to us over on Instagram, he says, he asks, what are some tips on getting more comfortable with street shooting, specifically when it comes to sh- shooting street shooting people? So, Timothy, you go first. <laughs> Man, I... There's there's so many ways like when I I still get uncomfortable going up to somebody to to shoot. I mean, it's just something that doesn't really go away. Some days you have good days where you kind of just go up and you do your thing or you you can strike up a conversation with the person or some days you're just kind of scared. I don't know. You know, it's I've gotten better throughout time. I mean, I've been been doing the the street thing for for a while now, you know, and when there's not kids involved, I am like 100% right. on my game. Yeah. But if there is like a a child, I've had a really bad experience. I don't know if I said it before on here where a parent, I wasn't shooting their child. I was just shooting in the child's general direction and the dad grabbed my camera and threw it on the ground and oh, broke no. it. So it was that set me back for a while like I was I was set back yeah. for a little while on that but um you know I got I got my I got my legs back and I don't know I guess just being brave yeah just you know kind of suck like, it up and there's that saying what shoot, shoot first apologize later yeah yeah get the shot and I, then apologize <laughs> I I hate asking for the shot you know I I just like the candidness of of shooting them kind of in of in the act of what they're doing and then if they give me like a glare, then I'll go up and kind of explain. Right. I have, I always keep one of my books in my book bag That's or, polite. you know, yeah. some prints or something like that. And I'm like, Hey, look, I'm not trying to catch you in a, in a bad, I'm not trying to get your triple chin. I'm just <laughs> getting a shot. You know, I'm trying to get a nice picture of you in downtown. Yeah. Like, that's just what I do. And I'll show them my book. And it makes things a lot easier. Sometimes you can get away without having to do that, though. You can take a shot. Take a shot and a smile goes a long way. Right, too. right, so, right, I mean, right. Dave, do you shoot much on the street? Well, I live in New York, so I don't really have much choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. But I, I'm terrible about approaching people. Mm. There's, it's tough. there's, you know, we have two kinds of people in New York. You have New Yorkers who are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. who are you selling that to? Yeah, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Or, or just don't want to be photographed um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, and then you have tourists who honestly just don't make the most photogenic, um, mm. not in New York anyway, because they're always like looking up yeah. or yeah, or, looking up <laughs> or gathered together in like in the same t-shirts. Yeah. You know, or mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yep, I heart New York t-shirts. However, I've I've discovered most a lot of the people that I've shot in New York have been in Times Square. Because in Times mm. Square, I think you just sort of expect to be photographed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, even if just ambiently, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to end up in someone's photograph. For me, if, I, you know, when I'm in Central Park or if I'm someplace where I see someone, I usually do the same thing. I I don't want to approach them first because I do want the candid mm-hmm. shot. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, a lot of times just to smile and if they want more, I give them a card. I'm like, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy to send you a scan of this when I get it, if, if you want. Yeah, you yeah. I've, I've said that a million times. Yeah. yeah that's smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even at that, you know, the number of people in my photographs is is limited because I, I just, I feel so awkward about it so much of the time. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, the, the people who, who just do it and... Are good and at have it. tons and are good at it. <laughs> yeah. I really admire. Me too. I really yeah. admire. 
Yeah, same here. You know, having a unique camera helps and goes a long way, too. Like, when I was cruising around with my Mamiya RB67, like, that thing... Everybody's like, is that a Hasselblad? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I get asked that every time. Even if it's like a TLR, they're, they're like, is that a Hasselblad? And I'm like, no. But, it, you know, having something that sticks out a little bit really softens the blow for people, yeah, too, like when you take their picture. People want to have a conversation. After. Well, TLRs, uh, to me, I have just a plain old Yashica mat, not yeah. a 124. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and uh, the fact that you're looking down into it mm-hmm. and not at yep. them mm-hmm. helps a lot. Yeah, because they don't think probably don't even think you're taking a photo. Right. That's that's yeah, a good that, tip right there. <laughs> that is. Yeah, there's there's something about the eye contact. Gets weird. That, uh, yeah, that it does. Can get it weird does quickly. Mm-hmm. Chris, do you shoot many street? Do you do you shoot much street? Um, have, like have not you? Not when it comes to people. Although um, my friend Adrian, who was a guest, he we we've been out a couple of times, and he very much is that mm-hmm. like you know shoots. And gets the people in their moments, so he's kind of been an inspiration. Yeah, him and I should probably we should go out shooting again and do that just because he does. He's so I don't want to say unapologetic, but I I guess it is. But he gets the shot, and nobody ever really gives him a hard time because it's like he kind of he's quick too. He, boom, move on, keep going, you know. And then people are like, "Oh, that happened." Okay, you know. We, I he, think having a companion in general. That's true. That's true. Probably. Something. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not just you, mm-hmm. especially yeah. if you're not. A white dude with a beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 in there, <clears throat> you know, like, um, who's that creepy white dude taking my picture? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, making yourself not look super shady yeah. doing yeah. it also yeah. helps. Like, if you're, like, yeah. staring at him and, you know, kind of just, like, being kind of weird. If you just kind of roll up, smile, you get your you shot and you, and you yeah. go on your business. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little smile or, like, a head nod or... If it comes down to it, you know, show them your Instagram or something like that and just show them the pictures that you've right. taken like that. It it really helps. Like, it really kind of lightens the load a little bit. Like, they don't think that you're – for some reason, recent – I don't know if it's if it's been forever, but since I've been doing it, it seems like people have – they just always feel like people are out to make yeah, them look it's, bad. Yeah, it also is contributed to, to, like, you know, the – like Instagram and like Vine and like people being sneaky and like putting stuff up about people that isn't very, isn't nice, mm-hmm. you know? So people I feel like are on guard. Like, where is that going? Are you going to, are you going to like shame me somewhere? I'm going to yeah. end up a viral thing, you know, right, which is right. unfortunate, but that's probably where it comes from. It people being really super weird about it. It's a good yeah, question. Thanks yeah. for that question. Thanks for, Justin. Thanks that was for writing awesome. in. So the next thing we're going to talk about is our weekly photo challenge. And this week's photo challenge, guys, we want you to post your favorite instant photo. So you probably have to scan it <laughs> some way or another and post yeah. it to the Flickr group. Uh, Analog Talk podcast on Flickr. Yeah, we want to see your, whether it's Impossible or it's Old Polar or it's Instax, whether it's Peel Apart Film. Uh, just show us your favorite instant photos this week. And we'll post them on the Instagram and stuff like that, as always. Also, thank you guys. I've noticed the Flickr discussions have been really um taken off and it's been really cool that that's become like a little community for everybody so thank you again for you know contributing to that yeah i, I chimed into one of the discussions yeah, the really other great. day it was fun so awesome i, I tell you fl- flicker flicker you cannot say enough about I know. flicker i was i'm like when you said you made friends for flicker i was like so so have i like yeah flicker when it was I've like been in on flicker heyday. since 2004 mm-hmm. and it was 2006 or something I, seven i do not think that the film business would be where it is today without Flickr. 
Yeah. I, and I don't, I don't say that I'm not trying to be like hyperbolous or anything. It, it, I think that Flickr gave film photographers a way to connect because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you might be the only person in your town shooting film, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but you go on Flickr and you find thousands and thousands of, of like minds. Yeah. And the, the groups are really great. Like anytime I was, you know, I wanted to maybe get a camera, I'd be like, well, let me see what people are getting from it. And I would just type in, you know, the group, whatever camera it was. And it was like, you know, thousands of photos. And I was like, all right. I do want this camera. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do that every time. Like if I'm trying a new film stock or that was the first first place I searched when P30 <laughs> was announced and yeah. they were doing the alpha roll. <laughs> I was yeah. like, Flickr yeah. right now. I, what does it look like? Yeah. And a lot of our um, some of our Man. listeners have you know been saying, like, I don't have a Flickr. What should I do? I'm like, all you need is a Yahoo email. That's it. And then you're in the club. Oh, uh, Dave, one of our weekly questions that we've been asked to ask our, our listeners is, is what is your favorite camera? If you can narrow it down to one, a lot of people can't, I can't. If I had to name just one, it, it would be for a variety of reasons, my SX-70. Ooh, yeah. Mm. That camera is a work of art. What an awesome camera. I, I think the SX-70 is one of the greatest inventions of the 20th century mm-hmm. in mechanical terms. Plus I've learned an, an enormous amount about how it was made. Mm-hmm. It was a force of will that nearly bankrupted Polaroid. Oh, no way. You know, wow. Edwin Land gave his engineers a block of wood that was the size <laughs> of a Polaroid. And he said, you need to make me an SLR that shoots this kind of film that we're still working on. Jeez. That fits in this space. Jeez. And I want it to have leather and I want it to be able to fit into a gentleman's coat pocket. That's the way he put it. Yeah. And within that camera, there are things that never existed before, uh, like Fresnel plastic. You know, this was something that people had made Fresnel glass, mm. but but no one had ever made a plastic that could take a Fresnel. There's an article in, uh, I think it's the Life magazine article that talks about the the mirror that you look into to see the viewfinder mm-hmm. and the it's this incredibly complex uh, organic shape that they rented time on the MIT supercomputers in the 60s to calculate the shape of this no thing way. yeah and it took 2 weeks <laughs> now Jeez. of course now you can probably wow. do that on your iPhone now in mm-hmm. about 5 mm-hmm. seconds but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, it took two weeks for this oh. supercomputer at MIT to calculate the shape. Much uh, attention to detail. Uh, they were all hand assembled on a production line, of course, but literally every part put in by human hands. Um, just as an engineering yeah. feat, as a as a piece of uh, beautiful uh, example of like mid century uh, design and and engineering. That would be my single favorite camera. The one I the one I use the most is my Nikon FE2. That's you know that would be a very close second. Like your daily uh, driver. My, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I kicked myself. There was there was one at our thrift shop not too long ago, and I passed by yes, it, and I was like, oh man, I have so many cameras. Do I need yes, this yes, one? Sir. And then <laughs> I. I'll still kick myself. That's that's one that I should have I should have yeah, just took it. I, I want to be. I want to make a shirt. Always be buying cameras. 
Yeah. <laughs> Don't second guess it. Just buy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This has been so awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your knowledge and of course. and being such a yeah, advocate for the community and you know, listeners, definitely if you have questions for Dave, reach out. Um this has been been so wonderful getting a chance to talk to you and pick your brain and and learn so much today. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Where where can everybody check you out? So our website is filmferrania.it for it, mm. for Italy, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. it, and that's F-E-R-R-A-N-I-A, uh, not Ferrari and not uh, <laughs> yeah. filmferrania.it. Uh, <laughs> you can find on our website a vast amount of information. It depends on how much you want to read. We use awesome. Squarespace, so our, our website looks great on your phone. <laughs> so if you're on the bus, you can Love read it. the stories <laughs> about how, how we came to be. Um, and uh, we're Film Ferrania on Instagram. We're Film Ferrania on Flickr, on Facebook, all the others. Awesome. And Timothy? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Timothy Makeups. I'm also on YouTube. I make videos about film photography and other related things like that. That's just my name. So it's going to be youtube.com slash Timothy Ditzler, D-I-T-Z-L-E-R. And uh, oh, I also started doing this Monday through Friday, kind of just like off the top of my head, little podcast thing. And that's on Anchor FM. And the name of that is We Believe in Film. People can also check that out on iTunes, right? Not just Anchor. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that is also on iTunes. Yeah. And that's just We Believe in Film. Same thing. Awesome. For me, I'm Chris B. Photo on basically everything. So YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you can check the podcast out. We are on Twitter is Analog Talk Pod. Instagram is Analog Talk Podcast. And we're now on Facebook, so you guys can give us a like there. And if you guys do have questions, you can send us a message on our Gmail, which is Analog Talk Podcast at Gmail, or send us a message on Instagram. And we also have a website where photos that you guys submit will be going, analogtalkpodcast.com. Awesome. Dave, thank you again for joining us. This has been great. Yeah, thank you so thank much, you. Dave. All right, everybody. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.